Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Chris Terracone. This season of Jury Duty explores the trial of Michael Barrison, who is charged with the attempted murders of Lauren Kanarek and Robert Goodwin in Long Valley, New Jersey. Kanarek was struck in the chest by two bullets from Barrison's weapon, and as it was undisputed that Barrison fired those shots, his legal team argued that he was not guilty because he was legally insane at the time of the shooting, and in the alternative because he fired those shots in self-defense. In our last episode, we examined testimony as the defense began to call witnesses and present their case to the jury. On today's installment, we take a look at the questioning of two fire inspectors who issued citations for fire code violations on the Barrison farm on the eve of the shooting of Lauren Kanarak. That's all coming up, right after the break. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. It's mid-afternoon on April 4th, 2022, and Edward Belinkus calls as his next witness, William Herwagen Jr., her wagon is a heavyset man and sports spiky graying hair and a small gray mustache. He wears dark frame glasses, a tweed jacket, a white shirt, and a green patterned tie. Blinkus again begins with his customary opening question. Where do you currently reside? I live in uh, Washington Township, Warren County. And, and what do you do for a living? Currently, I am a life safety instructor for surgery centers. I'm a retired firefighter. Okay, back in August specifically August 6, 2019, what did you do? I was the fire inspector for Washington Township, Morris County. And can you give the ladies and gentlemen and jury a, a little bit of your background? Working with Washington Township? Yes. Or, or uh, your previous employment that allowed you to become what you were there? I'm a retired firefighter, a fire captain from Maplewood, New Jersey. I am also was a fire marshal for Washington Township, Warren County. Washington Township, Mars County, and several other towns, Independence and Mansfield. Okay, and uh, back in uh, August of 2019, did you have an occasion to respond to my client, Michael Barrison's uh, farm? Yes, I did. And why did you respond? It was at the request of the fire marshal at that time. He asked me to take a ride with him to issue uh, violations. And to your knowledge, was a complaint filed? At that time, I wasn't aware of anything, no. So basically, you're just asked to come along for the ride, correct? Right, correct. And prior to that day, had you had occasion to see Michael Barrison before? No, not at all. So on the 6th, that was the first time that you ever laid eyes on Michael Barrison, correct? That's correct. And can you describe his demeanor when you first saw him? Uh, when we arrived, he approached us and... Uh, it was a short dialogue, and he uh, was seemed very upset to the point where he actually started sobbing. Actual sobbing more than crying? Crying. I use the word sobbing as far as crying. Did you ever determine uh, why he was crying or what issues he had? Later on. I'm going to object on speculation, Brett Judge. Yeah. Let me see that sidebar. After the sidebar, Judge Stephen Taylor offers instructions to Edward Belinkus. 
the Belenkis, you can rephrase if you wish to. Sure. Mr. Herwagen, with regards to these code violations, did you and your uh, boss or colleague determine who was doing the construction at the facility? That was more on my boss's part. Okay. All right, I have nothing further. Thank you. Judge Taylor offers Prosecutor Christopher Shellhorn an opportunity to question the witness. Any cross-examination of Mr. Heerwagen? Briefly, Judge. Mr. Heerwagen, do you know if the visit to the property was announced to Mr. Barrison before you went there? No, I was not aware if it was or not. I know it was a second visit to the property where my boss supervisor was there earlier in the day where he viewed what was supposed to have been written up. Now, he went back later that afternoon to issue the uh, construction violations. And when you talk about that individual, is that Mr. Lopez? That's correct. Who else was at the property when you were there, from the township? Uh, Neil Giro, he was the construction official at the time. Do you recall if uh, Ms. Cook Gibbs was there at that time? No, she was there? not. I know she wasn't there at the time. It was just the three of us. And you indicated that you had gone there in your capacity related to the fire inspection? I was asked to go along as a second party. He was issuing violations and he felt that it was best to have somebody with him. And there were actual fire violations located at the property? Uh, I believe so. I did not see exactly what they were. Mr. Lopez will be more aware of what exactly he wrote up. I didn't write it up. No further questions, Judge. As his next witness, Edward Belinkus calls another fire inspector, Matthew Lopez. Lopez has dark hair with flecks of gray and a hairline that recedes to the middle of his scalp. He sports wire-framed glasses and wears a blue golf shirt with his last name stitched on its right side and a Washington Township fire prevention patch on its left side. Rather than beginning with his customary question about his place of residence, Belinkus asks Lopez, Mr. Lopez, what do you do for a living? I am a fire inspector. And for who? For Washington Township, Morris County. And, and how long you've been doing that? About 10 years. And what, what training or experience you have to, to hold a position like that? Uh, I have a fire inspector, fire official certification through the state. And you've been doing that for 10 years at Washington Township? Washington Township, yep. Directing your attention to August 6th, did you respond to my client's farm in Washington Township? I did. And had you received a complaint? We did. If I can approach him, I'll show you D100D2 and ask you if you recognize that document. Blinkus then shows the witness the complaint filed regarding alleged code violations. I do recognize that. And is that the reason why you decided to go out there on the uh, 6th? That's correct. Now, prior to going out, did you talk to anybody about that complaint? We received a complaint and we decided to go out to investigate it the next day. Okay. And two people signed that complaint, correct? That is correct. And, and prior to going out, did you attempt to contact those people and try to see what you were dealing with? Uh, we did not. Okay. So does that complaint accurately depict the reasons why you went out on that particular day? Yes. It stated fire code violations were at the property. Okay. Judge, I move the 100E2 into evidence. I would object, Judge. What's the basis for the objection? The same objection that I had with the prior document. I think this is hearsay. I'd offer for the truth. It is offered for the truth. Let me see it. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. After a brief sidebar, Judge Steven Taylor issues a ruling on the objection, guiding the defense attorney to take a different tack. All right, rephrase your question, Mr. Belenkis. Mr. Belenkis, in the complaint, you object to that, Judge. Yeah, just, it's your witness, Mr. Belenkis. You can ask him what he did without getting into the specifics. With regards to the farmhouse, specifically the basement area, did you go and check down there? to determine whether there were any violations. Yes, we went down in the basement. And and what were you checking for we were looking down for, in the basement? We were looking for fire code violations. We were looking to see if anybody was staying down there and if there was any other violations such as, you know, open wiring and missing fire protection devices. And were people staying down there? There was nobody there when we were there. You checked the rest of the house, correct? That is correct. Based on your inspection, uh, did you issue violations? Yes, we did. Uh, what specifically did you issue? We issued a imminent hazard for the house and for the barn. Okay, let's let's talk about the house first. What were the issues with the house? The house had zero smoke, hardwired smoke alarms. They were all missing from the ceiling. And then there was additional. There was open wiring throughout the building and missing fire um, rated construction from the first and second floor. I'm sorry, what did you say about the first and second floor? I didn't catch that. There was missing fire-rated construction. Uh, the ceiling was missing from the first floor to the second floor. And, and based on those observations, did you issue a violation? Yes. And, and what's the result of you issuing a violation? What are the consequences, so to speak? The owner or operator of the property would have to abate the violations within the time frame the code allowed. And is someone obligated to move out and remain out of the residence until those specific issues are addressed. With an imminent hazard, nobody has to go back into the property unless it is to abate the imminent hazard. I've seen pictures of violations posted on the back door. Did you post those? I did. Nobody was at the property at the house when the the violations were issued, so I posted it on the building so anybody that came back saw the violations and were aware. What does the violation say are the consequences to anyone who ignores those violations and goes in and resides in the residence? There's fines involved with that. Up to $5,000? Correct. And who's the owner of that property based on your investigation? I had Sweetgrass Farms Barson Dressage as the owner-operator. And, and that's Michael Barson's company, you know, correct? Yes. Now. So I understand uh, the sequence of events. You place a violation on the, the door of the, uh, the farmhouse, correct? Yes. And there's another stack of papers posted also. What is that? I'm not sure which Why don't one. you show them the photograph, if you have it? Well, when you make your determination that there's a violation and, and, and that people must leave, what do you post on the doors? I post the notice of violation after I've issued it to the property owner. So at some point in time, you go up to the stable area, correct? Correct. 
and did you post a similar type of violation on that structure? I don't believe I did. I hand-delivered it to Mr. Brisson. And when you say you hand-delivered it to who, my client? Correct. Brisson? Yes. And was he basically, based on your your inspection, not allowed to re-enter the property and, and sleep there? I, no, nobody can stay there until the imminent hazard has been abated. Can we clarify which property you're speaking about? I'm talking, I thought I did the stable area. Linkus then takes Mr. Lopez through a series of exhibits in an apparent effort to offer specificity about the nature of the citations issued to Michael Barrison by Lopez for the various code violations. I'll show you D800-81 and ask if you know what those two pieces of paper take to the back door are. The one is my imminent hazard. I'm not sure what that other one is. Who put that on the door? I know I, I put the one on the left on the door. I don't recall what the one in the middle is. I'm not sure what that one is in the middle. Well, how many packets do you normally put on a door based on the violations that you observed on that day? I normally just issue the imminent hazard of the notice violation. I show you D500 slash five and ask you if you recognize this document. Yes, that's the imminent hazard that's posted on the left. Okay, and what's the purpose of this document? This document was posted at the building, had an imminent hazard, and anybody that went to the building or tried to get into the building knew that there was an imminent hazard and was able to read it. And as you sit here today, uh, I'm going to show you 872, which is the other document on the door. Do you recognize that document? Yes, that's the letter for temporary housing that the town had uh, asked to post. Blinkus then moves to enter all of those exhibits into evidence, and Judge Taylor allows him to do so without objection. Mr. Lopez, I'm not going to ask you the specifics, but did you have a conversation with Michael Barrison about where he and all the people who were residing in the stable area were going to sleep? Yes. And did you come back at any point and see mattresses laid out outside on the front porch? Yes, I did. And when did you see those mattresses on the back porch? Um, at the time that the violation of the imminent hazard had stated. Now, did Michael Barrison and all the staff members there comply with your order to vacate the premises? They abated the violation by not sleeping there and removing the mattresses, so yes. Now, did you have any discussions with Lori Cataract with regards to her staying in the farmhouse? She emailed us stating that she had received the violations, yes. So you got confirmation she was aware of them, correct? Correct. Now, again, I can't ask you what you said or what she said, but did you come to an arrangement with Lori Cataract whereupon she was allowed to stay in the farmhouse? She and Robert Goodwin abated the imminent hazard, and therefore the imminent hazard was abated, and I could not there's no reason for me to be able to keep them out. You basically gave them permission based on what? Under you, the fire code. Under the fire code to go back into that residence, correct? Because the imminent hazard was abated. And to your knowledge, did she or Robert Goodwin take down those violations that were posted with the... the uh, so that sounds... Yeah, sounds how, how would he know that? He won't only know it if he returned to the scene, and we haven't established that yet. Did you return to the scene at any point when 
to check to see whether those violations were abated? No, it was late at the night and they sent me emails with photos of everything in working order in view of the smoke alarms working. So you did that based on what they told you, not what you saw or investigated, correct? It was late at night and I was not going to go out to the farm late at night. They sent us emails and videos of all the devices working properly. Okay. Now, when Michael Barrison was violated for the stable area, did you advise him of the violations concerning the farmhouse because he was the owner? I did. Now, after you allowed Tanarak and Goodwin to go back into the residence, did you at any time notify Michael Barrison, the owner, what you had done? Not that night. I didn't. We were going to do it in the morning. Did you do it in the morning? I did not get to it in the morning. No, we did not. Meant, no. So as far as Michael Barrison was concerned. Objection. Yes, Mr. Belenkis. Not proper. Sustained. So before the shooting, did you notify Michael Barrison that Cataract and Goodwin were allowed to remain in the residence? I did not have contact information for Michael, so no. Did you or anyone on your behalf go out and remove those violation notices? Nobody from my office removed the violation notices. And those are the violation notices that I showed you in that picture, correct? Uh, the ones that were on the door of the house, yes. Did you have anything to do with the uh, South Construction order? No, that's, that's UCC construction. I have nothing for you, Judge Taylor next invites Prosecutor Shellhorn to question Mr. Lopez. Cross-examination. Thank you, Your Honor. So, Mr. Lopez, you were there on August 6th and issued a number of fire violations at the house? Correct. And you also issued a number of fire violations at the barn? Correct. And I think just to clear up what, what you were just asked about, you got an email from Ms. Kanarek on the night of August 6th, 2019? Correct. And she actually sent you videos and pictures that showed that there were fire detector, uh, smoke detectors, and things of that nature. Yes. And from your perspective, that abated the hazard that you had observed, the imminent hazard, at least for purposes of that night. Correct. When you were at the property at some point on August 6th, Mr. Bolinkus asked you about seeing mattresses outside the barn? Correct. And during the course of dealing with Michael Barrison, did he tell you that he was going to be getting a hotel? Correct. And you found that to be satisfactory because... The barn is not a dwelling unit, so nobody should be staying there. Whose responsibility is it to fix or remedy or abate uh, an imminent hazard? The owner, operator, tenant, occupant. And in this case, you actually had Ms. Kanarek and Mr. Goodwin abated what was going on at the barn, but nothing was abated at the house, but nothing was abated at the barn. No, the barn was abated. The mattresses were removed, so there was no dwelling units inside the barn anymore. I understand. Nothing further, Your Honor. Thank you. And with that, we bring to a close this episode of Jury Duty, The Trial of Michael Barrison. Join us on our next installment as we look at the testimony of two of the paramedics and one of the physicians who treated Michael Barrison for his injuries in the aftermath of the Canarac shooting. If you would like to listen to these episodes early and ad-free, head over to our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. You can find more information about this trial on our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page or at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created and produced by Carrie Antholis. It was co-produced and edited by yours truly, Chris Terracon. Music for this episode was provided by Strike Audio, and the trial audio is courtesy of Law & Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us. We hope you'll come back for the next episode of Jury Duty, The Trial of Michael Barrison. <laughs>